0: Welcome to the Living Clean Podcast. I'm your co-host Mason S. With me as always is Travis K. This podcast is not meant to replace meeting, sponsorship, step worker service. This is meant to be just another tool in your recovery toolbox. Our guests are here to share their experience, strength, and hope with recovery through Narcotics Anonymous. Thank you for joining us right welcome back to the living clean podcast i'm your co-host mason s i'm an addict and with me as always is tk yeah yeah and we are back for what episode number eight i believe and today nine it may be nine um today we have our first international guest and we're excited about it man um finally breaking out of the states which is a good thing because this fellowship is worldwide you know today we have mr jd jd how are you man
1: i'm exceedingly well mate i'm very very well it's monday morning here in south australia and uh you've saved me from being at work so i appreciate that
0: (laughs) Whatever we can do to help, man. So you want to start off by um, telling us your clean date and where you attend meetings at.
1: Sure. My clean date is 4th of February, 2020. I have two home groups. One's online. The other one is a physical home group. The physical one is on Friday evening. It's called the uh, for absolute beginners. And it's uh yeah, it's a, it's a smallish group. The, uh, we're probably average twenty, thirty, forty people there per night. The other home home group I have is online the Bali International Connections. I've been a member there since pretty much since, since its inception in twenty twenty, and uh, it means a lot. Both both groups have special special meaning to me.
0: You know, I love the idea of being able to catch a meeting in Bali. You know, where they're fourteen hours ahead of us and just hear a different perspective with the same message, you know, and that's where I kind of bumped into you on there. And that's, that's how we got here today. So why don't you um, walk us through what is the uh, landscape of like Narcotics Anonymous in Australia?
1: Oh man, I can't imagine that it's too much different from the States and, and, you know, through zoom, I know that to be the case, Um, like different meetings have, slightly different focuses and that sort of thing but um, we have a f- pretty strong fellowship I would say in my city which is you know roughly I guess a bit over a million people or so there's a couple of meetings every day some meetings have three meetings in a day we have a yearly convention it's 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 a it's alive and it's and it's vibrant there's a there is I feel recovery in the rooms that. Every meeting, and I, and I know that I feel recovery depending on my perspective. You know, I could go to the best meeting ever, and if I've got the wrong attitude, I'm not going to feel anything. So I understand that, but but there is the I feel it's it's alive, it's a it's alive, and and be you know, with a beating heart. And I, uh, yeah, I, I love being part of it.
2: So, JD, tell us how you found the rooms of Narcotics Anonymous. So
1: I found the rooms through a rehab. And that was in 1989. So I have, uh, you know, a bit over three years clean now, but, but, uh, but I first came to the rooms in 1989. And um, yeah, I, I was in this, in this rehab, uh, it was a long-term rehab. It's a six month program. And uh, we, every Friday night came to a network, you know, put on the bus, marched on the bus and off we go to the meeting. And, uh, I did not want to go to any bloody meetings, you know. <laughs> I didn't want to be in the rehab, you know. I was there because uh because <clears throat> my options were thin on the ground. I'd I'd uh, worn out all my uh friends who would put me up and all that, stuff, you know, that that story. They brought us every Friday night and it was a long drive this rehab this rehab was uh mm-hmm. an hour or so on the bus to get there interestingly for me you know what part of what makes this home my home group my physical home group so special for me is that that was the meeting we were brought to mm-hmm. so that meeting has been going for, for in a couple of years it'll, it'll be 40 years without a break so that first meeting I came to was the one that I'm a, a member at now and um that stint in rehab really I was I did the whole program but I was never there for for, for me
0: you know? and uh
1: That's how I found the rooms. I was dragged, kicking and screaming into them.
0: (laughs) Kind of walk us through, do you leave the treatment facility? What what does life look like after you complete the program?
1: I had no hope in that that rehab. Because like I just alluded to, I was not there because I had a burning desire to get clean. I was there because I had a burning desire, but it was to stop hurting the people Mm -hmm. who loved me. Um, my mother, I had a son and I was a single uh, parent and I was just causing havoc wherever I went. And I wanted to stop doing that. I really did. But I wanted to find a way where I could pretty much, you know, have, a, you know, I didn't even want to have a rest from drugs. I, I just wanted to stop hurting people, but I still wanted to take drugs. So when I got to, after about three months in that rehab, you were trusted enough to go out. A, a, an outing, once a week, and as soon as I did that, I used on my outing and came back to the rehab and um, you know cheated the um, the urine tests and all that stuff. And uh, every chance I got, I used while I was in the rehab. And you know the the counselors and stuff thought that I'd done the done the right thing. And um, I went to the halfway house and I was using there. And So there was no hope. And Like we often hear in these in meetings, you know, I just picked up exactly where I left off. In fact, it it things had progressed, so I quickly found myself in the same position. I I don't really remember in detail exactly how long that uh, that relapse lasted, but what had changed was that I I had seen in 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 Narcotics Anonymous and through I'd seen that people did seem to get well if they worked that program. I, so I had, I'd got, what had changed, I guess, is that I had got to a point where I believed that recovery was, was a possibility. And mm. and before I went the first time in that rehab, I, I didn't really think it was. So when I got sick and tired of being sick and tired, I I asked to go back to that rehab. And that time things were different. I, I had found some surrender and, uh, And I approached it in an entirely different way.
0: Before we get too far ahead, paint us a picture for how addiction progressed for you. And when you finally started to see that, you know, it was a problem and it had taken over.
1: You know, middle-class family, I don't remember ever being abused, ever being beaten, ever wanting. You know, my parents, they were working People, my dad, I think in those days, a lot of mums were stay at home mums, and that's how my mum was. She was loving. My dad was loving. They sent me to the best school they could afford. I had two sisters, an older sister and a younger sister. I don't have that story of neglect, or, you know, I have nothing I can point to to say this is what this is why I was an addict. I just felt different. I felt. It's hard to really describe. I, I never really felt comfortable, and you know, not a yeah, chubby, chubby kid. And so I was really th- thought about that. You know, I I wanted to fit in at school. I wanted to be athletic. You know, one of those athletic kids, and 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 uh, that people, you know, other school kids admired. And so I tried all the different sports. And if I wasn't good at a sport, immediately. You know, I wanted to give it up and go to the next one. I wanted to find the sport where I walked in and the coach would just go, "My mate, mate, where have you been all our lives? With the team needs you." You know, and so, so I was obviously looking for not just a, a, that uh, approval, but but I wanted to be a self esteem. You know, I was looking outside of myself and
0: for validation. Yeah. You know, I, I did
1: the school thing. I think, you know, when I got to about 14 or 15, my parents divorced, and that was pretty rough on me. I, I took that hard. And uh, then I started to rebel by I wanted to be one of the bad boys. And I'd never done that before. I'd never, I'd never been that tough kid. and And I wanted to be, but I never was. I just dressed like the tough kids and hung with the tough kids and tried to talk like them, you know. And I was never um, scholastically inclined either. I, I think I felt pretty mediocre, and and I didn't approve of that. I wanted to be more, so, so I, I didn't approve of myself. So I left school before, in Australia, we call it, in those days anyway, we used to call it matriculation. You know, year, year 12, or I don't know how that translates, but I, I left before the end. I first picked up drugs I would say in when I was about 15 years old you know and that was at a at a, a youth club and again you know there was there was nice kids there that I knew from school and, the, and there was the bad element and of course I was with the bad element and uh trying to be the bad boy and um, so we we uh got about a bottle of cheap cheap wine one night and I drank that whole thing and got very messed up and I you know, and uh, I had to catch a bus home, and that was that was difficult. Anyway, I got home, and I remember waking up next morning, and I felt terrible, and, and I re- recalled the the night before and how messy I was, and and my thought was, you know what, I really need to practice that because I didn't I I didn't do very well last night. I, I need to drink more so that I can get better at it. You know. Absolutely. <laughs> and uh, so that set me on, on a path to become a, a good good drinker. Yeah. I never got good good at it, by the way. Never never I was never good at it. But I I tried and tried. Yeah. And and so it was through those those sorts of uh, people. You know, I started hanging around with um the badass spikies and, and all that. And, and and pretty soon there was uh, I was off marijuana and, and I just was on to it. You know, I wanted, I, I wanted to do that, so the progression was fairly quick.
0: And the lifestyle that, you know, that comes along with being a part of, you know, hanging out with the bikers and things like that, That it's the way that you were living was approved by them, I, I imagine. I, I think
1: I did bluff my way through fairly well. You know, I was accepted as, as bad until, <laughs> yeah, but I, I never was. I never felt it in my heart.
0: So let's talk about the drug use. Did it seem to quiet the noise a little bit in your head as far as wanting to feel more or feel that validation? Did it give you some sort of validation?
1: I think that in a way it probably did. I've never really thought about this, Mason, but but I think it probably did. I had, you know, as I said, I was into the motorcycle scene, but I was also just slightly before that. Tried the surfing scene, as I said earlier. I I tried these different things, tried on different costumes, different hats to see which one would would uh, make me feel good, and and either thing, they both had the drug culture. So I had this, uh, had this idea. What I wanted to find was a way of just feeling cool, you know, and and I don't just mean like in in the Hollywood. You know, gangster style, cool or, or whatever. But the image, you know, that uh, of somebody sitting cross-legged, long haired staring out to, to the sun going down uh, uh, over the sea. You know, with maybe a little campfire and a guitar. You know, and 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 being admired by the girls sitting around watching me. You know, and having that thing about life is cool, man. This is this is it. This is I feel. Cool. This is. I feel serene. I wanted to get that, and it, it, that never happened. It, there was. I think there were fleeting moments of it. You know, where I said, "This is great. This is how I want to feel." A few minutes later, that that had worn off, and and you know, with the next drug or the next drink, things had changed. Or even if if I didn't do anything else, you know, it was going to change. And so it was never there. It was always fleeting. And um, interestingly, and, and I'd like to tell anybody that will listen to this, the only thing, you know, it's paradoxical that I finally have found that feeling. Mm. And, and it's only through not taking drugs and not using any sort of uh, outside influence that has given me that feeling. So, yeah. So I love the fact that... Uh, it took me so long to find out how to get that.
0: (laughs) And that's great. I'm glad you touched on, um, you know, the fact that your childhood wasn't the cause of your addiction, because there's many people that are in the rooms. I know several myself, you know, that there, there is no blueprint for what makes you an addict or or who's going to be an addict. You know, it's just, you shared about those feelings. I think those feelings have more to do with addiction than the, all the external stuff, you know, the way that you feel that you felt. And regardless of how you grew up, we can identify with those feelings of not feeling like you ever were enough or, you know, mm-hmm. that, that sort of thing.
2: You know, I felt like I was, the drugs give me something that I really wasn't. It was a fake part of me, mm-hmm. but I liked the courage that it gave me, which it was I really found out later on that it was the person that I was supposed to be in the beginning anyway. Yeah. Yeah. I'd agree with that.
1: I don't, I can't say that I ever really felt at at the time, I don't think I would have described it as courage, but looking back, you know, in hindsight, that, that was what it was. It was, as as we often say that, that, that there was that hole that, you know, that I was trying to fill with drugs and, and in a way that would describe me, I think, you know, it was there was something lacking, and, and as it says in our literature, you know, I, I thought I'd found it in drugs. I thought that was the answer. I, I remember clearly thinking, that, you know, in my future, that I, of course, wanted to be rich, <laughs> and I'd have this huge mansion and everything, and, and I'd have all the beautiful people visiting me, but nobody would know, and I'd be smoking a pipe like a gentleman nobody would know that it was full of hashish and you know (laughs) and it was just my little secret so the even the secrecy of of uh of the drug life was something i i I liked Mm. a lot i liked being um doing stuff that people didn't know
0: all right so let's get to the good stuff man let's talk about when you reached the point of surrender you said some time ago that you know, you've seen other people get clean and that they were staying clean through the fellowship. Well, when did you decide that, hey, this is it, and I'm really going to give this my best shot?
1: So I went back to when I when I finally had had enough, and um, that, after years of uh, opiates and, uh, you know, and you know and needles and and all that stuff. So it was it was after that eighteen months or so after I had my first. Out of rehab, and I was went back to all that stuff, and and uh, I decided that I was wanted to give that another go. So I went, I applied again, and went back there, and was honest to them about the fact that I'd been using when I was there the first time, which shocked them, and uh, clearly remember the the, uh, the director of the place was pretty offended, but never mind, you know I had to be honest. I knew I had to be honest, and um, so um, I did approach that. And Finally, I was there because I wanted to get clean for me. I, w- I wanted to change my life. I I knew that I did. I couldn't do this. I I knew I didn't know how to live my life, and uh, so so I asked for help. Sometimes I feel funny sharing this, but it, it's, it's the truth of it is that it was one afternoon. I was walking within the grounds of the rehab. And I was just thinking, and and I guess I was in a way I was praying, you know, I was no stranger to prayer, it wasn't difficult for me, but but in a way I was praying, and and, and I remember thinking, I just am willing to do anything. I'd heard that a million times about, what are you willing to do for your recovery? Oh, I'm, will- I'm willing to do anything. But I felt like I was, you know, just tell me, in my mind I was saying, just tell me what to do. Oh, I, I'm, I want to do it, and I swear to God, it felt as though I can only describe it as that God put His hand on my shoulder. You know, oh, it God. felt this warm feeling. Felt like it was pushing, not you know, just guiding me, like pushing me just for a moment. And I felt like everything was going to be okay. I had I had a feeling that I, I guess it, the feeling was that I was in the exactly where I was meant to be, and and that if I keep doing this, things will be okay. So that was, you know, my moment of clarity, of surrender. And and I was happy about that. So I did the rest of that program and I didn't actually finish that, but that wasn't because, I, you know, I, I quit or ran away or anything. I, I did that program until I felt I had enough and, and uh, and, also, as I said, I had a son who needed me. So, you know, by this time, I'd spent about 10 months it, it, of the two visits to rehab combined. I'd been in there, you know, for about 10 months. So so I decided it was to, uh, time to move on and uh, and I did that with their blessing. And, uh, and from then, NA was very much, very much part of my life. And I got involved in service as heavily as I could. And... Um, you know I was I was a single man like I said with a child but so I had and I you know I was I was young I had the time to to devote to it and 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 I did I tried to you know it was I, I was told that if I work as hard for my recovery as I work for my drugs you know I, I've got it made and um and I I didn't I didn't have to work anywhere near as hard for recovery as I had to work for drugs yeah. so thank God for that yeah and I and, I, and I've got some clean time. Got some clean time.
0: What type of service was you getting involved in? The typical way
1: you know, most people do it. I started um just I joined the home group. I joined that that very group that I'm a, I'm a member of now. And um uh, you know, did did the chairs and you know, in those days we had ashtrays and all that. So just the menial stuff and work more up. I became um I think secretary there and then GSR. Um, I went from there to secretary of the um, phone phone line. I did some H and I became was chair of the convention committee. You know, after a while, and uh, became ASR. And, and before I left, um, not long after that, I left the rooms again.
0: Yeah.
1: Away. Love got in the way.
0: Love got in the way. yeah well that is a unique story that we've never heard before (laughs) love got in the way man do you care to take us through that you know um there may be somebody out there listening that's been through something similar and and maybe your pain can save them from experiencing that type of pain
1: my son was involved in he was in a sport and uh there was uh one of the other boys mom's was coming there and she was just uh, vision of be- beauty, of beauty, and uh, and uh, long story short, we we teamed up, we got together, and it really was one of those times. It was just such a beautiful time. I fell deeply in love, and she and she deeply in love with me. And it wasn't, thankfully, it, it wasn't a, it wasn't a thing that I was trying. I, I don't think I was trying to replace drugs with a relationship. I don't think that there may have been some of that there. But, um, but it was uh, we deeply fell in love. and and she she's not an addict. So she drank like like a non-addict. you know, she would have a glass of champagne, or maybe she'd have two or three, and then nothing for a few weeks, and she might have another one or might not, you know, that's that sort of person who I just have never been able to understand. And she didn't understand addiction. So she thought, you know, we started talking about, wouldn't it be nice if we could have a, sh- a glass of champagne together? And I thought it would be nice. It took a while, but finally I thought, you know what, maybe, maybe I can do that because because I know about addiction now. I know what to look out for. Maybe, you know, that old story. Maybe maybe I'm not an addict like those guys. So I did, and, and I was scared. We went out for a lovely night and we stayed in a motel and it was all beautiful and you know and um and that night we had some very very expensive french champagne and i didn't get drunk and we stayed in the motel and i woke up next morning it's like i woke up with one eye and looked around the room to see if the sky had fallen in or you know it's a calamity had had befallen me dude did i feel like using a needle and running out to, to get terrible drugs and i didn't feel any of that i guess what i felt was misgivings about this means that my status in the fellowship has changed because I have people I know and love there. And I can't. I knew I, can't, I couldn't do both. I was either in the fellowship and clean or I was a, you know, a, a social drinker and not in the fellowship. Yeah, I, I didn't have a desire to use my what had been my drug of choice, which I was surprised about, to see how this social drinking scene worked. And me being me, I uh, I did. I, I became a social drinker. The trouble was... That I was far more social than any of our friends, far more social, and uh, you know I was a social drinker. It soon became every day, every well every night. I I wasn't that the guy that got out of bed and, and started drinking. That wouldn't the relationship wouldn't have survived that. My my uh, the girl would not have allowed that, or you know put up with that. So, but it got to happy hour, and it was it was on. Every night. Well, it evolved to every night. It didn't start off that way. So we got married and all that, and um, had children. You know, I'll save I'll save you the suspense. I'll tell you that that woman is still my wife. So the relationship survived me becoming uh, coming back to my addictive self. Yeah, and I never did go back to that drug of choice that that led to to my to my original. discovery of na but i what i did find was that i was brought to my knees this time through a spiritual bankruptcy mm. rather than rather than physical i still had my house and, and and my business and you know motorcycles and the shed and all that sort of stuff i was not the person i wanted to be i wasn't happy with myself
0: I appreciate you sharing that, too. And I think it's just, you know, it's just important for the people listening because, look, man, it does become repetitive, I guess you could say. You know, there are those feelings that creep in from time. Do I really have to do this for the rest of my life? The way I always look at it is, you know, we got this illness, and just like any other illness, we're going to have to treat it. And if we stop treating it, there's going to be consequences, uh, no different than any other treatable illness that requires maintenance if we take our foot off the gas there will be consequences to pay
2: you know mason mm. it reminds me of that that old saying of there's no chemical solution to a spiritual problem mm. that's uh yeah i actually haven't heard it
1: put like that but that's that it, not, never a true word said never yeah. a true word. and and who knew that uh the problem I, I dare say, you know for any of us i would dare to suggest was a spiritual problem. I I didn't know that. Yeah, I didn't know that. I went to a, a Catholic school, so I thought at that you know in my earlier years I thought spirituality and and religion were the same thing. And I I went to mass and I prayed and I talked to priests, but it was a spiritual problem. That that religion never gave me the answers to my spiritual questions. Never did. Who knew? Who knew? But sitting in a room with a bunch of bloody ragtag junkies, that's where I was going to get my spiritual answer. I didn't know that. And the fact that that is exactly what happened almost right now brings a tear to my eye. That The beauty of being with people who, who are also spiritually lost you know? and and through coming together, we've found a purpose. It's just... Mm. It sounds cliche, but that's exactly how I feel. That's exactly what's happened to me. And to say grateful is just, there's got to be a better word than that. You know, it's grateful times infinity. You know, I'm in my 60s. So I used 45 years of my life and I had a terrible fear that I was going to end up in a hospital bed as a result of of my use, of using, and watching have my kids come and, and be crying because the end was coming for me, you know, and and that I would be there thinking, why did I do this? Why did I not stop? You know, I'm in hospital now. I can't, I can't use a drug. I, I've stopped now. Why didn't I just do this earlier? I had a fear that that was going to happen and that I would know that I would reflect and go, I've missed the point. I've not understood what life was for, you know, that I've wasted it and I've hurt people along the way, you know, because I didn't have what it took to take that step. I didn't have the courage to say, I'm going to change. And the fact that I found reason to to make that change, you know, to to come back to the rooms a second time, a bit over three years ago now, I'm so grateful for that. Because now I don't have that fear. In fact, I felt like the the day after I made the decision to to come back to NA, if I got squashed by a bus then, at least I died with a different mindset that I didn't die as a using addict. But thank God that hasn't happened. As you can see, I'm still here. And what what I have now is a sense of purpose. I'm not going rudderless through my life from one drink one joint one 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 pill of powder to the next you know not knowing what on earth it's all about i i do know now i know why i'm here and that's man that's uh that's a gift to know why i'm here to know my purpose is a gift
0: you were you were talking about your wife didn't understand addiction. It's still the the lady that you're with today. Has her knowledge about the disease changed? And is she okay with you being so committed to the fellowship at times, or has that ever been a problem? Or
1: it has been a problem. It has been. I would come home on a Friday night after 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 my meeting, and she'd be sitting here by herself, and um and see you know, it had gone from every Friday night, or every night. You know, we we would have a drink together because yeah, although she's she's not an addict, you know, she drank more because I was drinking more. So it went from that to all of a sudden I'm not drinking and I'm not here, you know. So, And I think even though she had been to uh, a meeting with me, you know, 30 years ago, uh, to a couple of meetings, so she knew what it was, but it was hard for her to come to terms with the fact that that I was building relationships with people in NA that I couldn't have with her because she, because she's not an addict she knew that my relationships with them were different and and on a different level and in a lot of ways a much deeper level than I could have with her so that there was a, some a lot of adjustment there and it was and I have to remember that that you know it I think I I'm doing a great thing for my family I'm getting I'm getting clean and, and that's true, but it is not as simple as that for them. You know, they, it's great. We've got dad back. We've got the husband back, you know. <laughs> the, the adjustments that my wife had to make were real, you know, and her fears I had to remember. And the fact that even though I was doing a good thing, in inverted commas, I had to remember that it does it's not just the answer for her. And I had to, and I still do, I have to balance my time with N.A., and recovery in general, and keep in mind that she needs me too, because these days most nights of the week are involved. You know, because I work during the day and I have sponsees and a sponsor that I need to talk to on different nights, and I have a home group on a Friday night. So every every week night is devoted to recovery. You know, or you know, for an hour or two. So it does take a lot, and then the, you know, and I host meetings online and that sort of thing. So there's there's time but i always think to myself well when i was using (laughs) i spent a lot more time a lot more time i might have physically been here but spiritually and mentally i was not so but i know that and uh that doesn't translate always to uh when i say that to my wife
0: (laughs) (laughs) right well jd man matter of fact we're actually a little over time but you know, if it was up to me, we'd probably do a two-part series because I've enjoyed talking to you, man, and uh, we sure appreciate you coming on and and you know, not just sharing the good stuff, but sharing, you know, the good, the bad, and the ugly, and how you overcome all that, man. And it's been it's been a pleasure.
2: Yeah, we well, thank you, JD.
1: Well, I thank you too, gentlemen, and it's uh, been a privilege. It really has. The Time has flown. Can I just finish by saying? That I said before that I had a, a sense of purpose now, and I know what that is. It's involved in the twelfth step. My my purpose is to carry the message. Mm. My purpose is to be there for other addicts, and and it's not just because I, I can keep what I have when I give it away. It's because you know my sponsor explained to me that the most powerful tool for to help uh, a, a suffering addict is is another addict, and so. That's where, that's what I, that's what I, apart from looking after my family, I just want to be able to spend time with other addicts and it's just such a privilege, such a privilege. So that's, that's me. And oh, thank you guys.
2: We appreciate thank you, JD. Thank you so much. Thank you for joining us on our Living Clean podcast. This is another platform that we can share our message of recovery, which is an addict, any addict, can stop using drugs, lose the desire to use, and find a new way to live. Join that no matter what club. You can contact us through text. The number is 931-306-9364.